0: Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Thursday, September 28th. Earlier this week, Anthony Rota stepped down as Speaker of the House of Commons, but how did this massive political blunder and national embarrassment even happen in the first place? We get the thoughts of David Marples, Professor of Russian and East European History from the University of Alberta.
1: A new poll from RBC shows Canadians know fraud is a real issue, but they don't know what to do if their data is compromised. We get some tips and strategies to protect your data and how to respond if it's been compromised with Adam Evans, Chief
0: Information Security Officer at RBC. And finally, food is way too expensive to waste. Ahead of the International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste, we discuss the small steps you can take to help reduce food waste and at the same time, lower your grocery bill. We speak with Sarah Sodoroff, Senior PR Manager with Too Good To Go. Good morning to
1: you, Professor. Thanks so much for being with us.
2: Yeah, my pleasure.
1: Do we even know how, I mean, maybe this isn't really a question for you because it's just one that's perplexed a lot of us, but you know how this veteran was invited to the House of Commons, how did we find out his actual ties to Nazi Germany?
2: well i think um he was invited by the speaker um, apparently lived in the same region and i understand that it was his son who suggested that you know he might attend the the ceremony for reception for volodymyr zelensky and you know this this is not a well-known unit perhaps but it it it, among the ukrainian community it's it's quite well known and we do have uh, a large number of them came to canada after the war uh having surrendered to the british and the americans and ended up in dp camps uh, and then they came to canada and um in 1985 when we had the desayne commission um investigating war criminals living in canada uh, they were most they were mostly exonerated you know no war cr- criminals were found but since then there's been a lot more research archives have opened and we're getting new information all the time and it turns out that um they some of them did commit crimes and, um, you know, they took part in campaigns in Poland, in uh, in Slovakia and, and Slovenia by the end, and um, didn't leave a particularly good record behind them.
0: This does also shine the light, Professor, on the fact that, you know, Nazis in our country. How common is something like this to have former Nazis living in Canada now, making Canada their home?
2: Well, I would look at it in a, in a couple of ways. Um, you know, first of all, Yes, they they are Nazis, but most of them who came here lived under Poland in the interwar period. And then the Soviets came in in September 1939, uh, behaved pretty badly towards all populations. First of all, they attacked the Poles, and then they started deporting Ukrainians. And right at the start of the war, they massacred uh, Ukrainian political prisoners who were in jails before the Germans could get there. So the... The intensity of feeling against the Soviets, against the Red Army, um, was pretty strong in this area, despite the fact that you know at least two million fought in the Red Army, so they were fighting on both sides. So, after the you know as the war began, tide turned, the Germans were losing, and then the Red Army was coming back, and at that point in the far western part of Ukraine, many Ukrainians took the chance of joining up with this army that the Germans put together. Um, rather than face the Soviets on their own or get deported to Germany for slave labor. So the choices were grim, whichever they did. Uh, I'm not saying they're great choices. Obviously, they weren't. But at the same time, uh, their situation was, was somewhat unique.
1: Uh, Professor, how does Russia's narrative about the Second World War, how does that impact the, this current controversy? And, you know, why does it matter on this international scale that we're experiencing right now? Well, Russia's using the war as its main propaganda ploy right now. And it's the main reason for its current national identity
2: is that Russia claims to have won the war and liberated democracy or democratic states from Nazi Germany. And the narrative excludes the Western participation altogether. And the enemy is now equated with Ukrainian nationalists, but also with the Western states who are accused of not really Pulling their weight and not opening up a second front on time, etc. So it is very much every single Russian is reading this in their media every single day about World War Two heroism and war crimes committed by Ukrainians. So Russia's equated war crimes and collaboration with Germany with the current Ukrainian regime and claiming it's it's the same thing. This is the same thing being repeated over and over again. So something like this happens, you know, and it, uh, a really stupid mistake where someone who served in a Nazi SS unit is brought into Parliament and and Mm -hmm. celebrated and applauded, it plays right into Russian propaganda. Mm -hmm. And they've made big use of this, uh, as have a number of pro-Russian academics and uh, in North America at the same time.
0: We are speaking with David Marples, Distinguished University Professor of Russian and East European History from the University of Alberta. And, Professor, I know that historically Canada has been uh, viewed as very kindly on the world stage when it comes to all cultures, when it comes to being respectful to to world events, for example. Uh, Something like this, though, how badly could our reputation be tarnished, or will this be a blip depending on how it's handled moving ahead?
2: Well, I think it, it will open up a lot of other questions um, as to, you know, why monuments, for example, that commemorate um, people who fought the Soviets after the, uh, during and after the war, wh- why they're still retained, you know, why there are cemeteries for the often SS division members who who died, put in, a, you know, put in a certain area with with a plaque. Um, it's a little bit like um, indigenous. Um, people suffering, and then r- removing a lot of monuments and changing them. And the same thing happens, I think, with World War Two. But of course, it's further and further away in terms of time. So there are very few people alive now who were who were collaborating or fighting during World War Two. And this was a rare exception. I mean, this guy was 98. Mm. Um, so I think that kind of that kind of thing is going to come up. Um, where the more, other more. What what else do we need to look at? Um, could this happen again? How can we stop it happening again? Um, but the history of Ukrainian World War II is incredibly complex, because there's no state, and its lands are divided up beforehand between four different states, and then they're occupied by two armies. And they look on the Soviet side, Stalin, as the worst of the two, because that's the one they've experienced. They don't know about Nazi Germany, because they've not lived there. They know that Stalin executed their people in the purges that there was a massive famine in 1933 that killed four million people in eastern ukraine this is what their experience is and so you can perhaps see why some of them favored you know what we see as ultimate evil a nazi state as opposed to the soviet
1: one it is a fascinating discussion i don't think it's one that's going away anytime quickly thank you so much for your perspective this morning david thanks for joining us
2: Yeah, you're very welcome. Anytime.
1: Thanks, David Marples, distinguished university professor of Russian Eastern European History at the University of Alberta. A new poll from RBC shows Canadians no fraud is an issue, but they don't know what to do if their data is compromised. Do you know what to do if you become a victim of fraud or an online scam? Well, it's uh, we've got a little help here for you if you don't. Joining us to talk <laughs> some tips and strategies to protect your data is Adam Evans, Chief Information Security Officer at RBC. Hi, Adam.
3: Hi guys, thanks for having me on. This thanks,
1: morning. thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's so top of mind these days. Anyone who does anything online, which is pretty much all of us, uh, we really need to be super aware. Can you break down some of the key findings from this RBC survey on Canadians' experience with fraud?
3: Yeah, sure. So, what we, we talked to over fifteen hundred Canadians, and what we wanted to do is really get the pulse of whether or not they were aware of this the, the changes in frequency that we're seeing online scams or fraudulent attempts to, uh, to to compromise people and then obviously did they understand what to do about it once uh, once they knew that they were they were being targeted and more than 80 percent of them uh, had said to us that they had experienced an uptick in the amount of online scams or fraudulent attempts to compromise over the course of last year and what was really interesting is more than half of them Said that they had been notified that their personal information had been exposed in a data breach, which was up 20% year over year. And when we look more broadly across the globe, cyber attacks are up uh, over 40%. And I think what we're starting to see is the industrialization of cyber crime. So although our, like, the Canadians that we talked to uh, understood that there was this uptick in, in cyber crime what they what they didn't understand and more than 60% of them said to us is they they don't know what steps to take to recover or at least to deal with the event when it happens to them.
0: Wow, interesting. And that that huge increase that, that that's quite shocking. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering Adam what factors are contributing to the increase in these data breaches?
1: So,
3: uh, new technologies that are coming out, you know, I think everybody's probably heard of things like generative AI that's being used in, in the legitimate world, it's also being used by cyber criminals and the, the, the access to tooling and the data that we are creating as individuals or organizations, we're creating more data than we ever have before and we're putting it online through things like social media and threat actors are, are collecting that information and they're using it to target individuals or organizations from across the globe. So. We're going to see this continued rise in the number of attacks that are targeting not just Canadian citizens, but citizens around the world.
1: So, Adam, I mean, what can we do? Uh, you know, I've, I've had this where I've gotten an email or a letter, a snail mail letter even, from a company saying, you know, our data was compromised, you need to change your passwords, etc. Is that enough? What, what can we do as individuals if we find out our personal data or company data has been compromised?
3: So the first thing I, I always recommend, especially if it's an individual, is you have to notify your financial institutions if you believe the information that's been compromised would allow a threat actor to gain access to your most sensitive online accounts. So financial institutions can track for any sort of fraudulent transactions that would be happening against your accounts. That would be the first thing. The second thing is you can always reach out to the Anti-Fraud Centre or the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity. And the reason I say that is... The government of Canada needs to understand how its citizens are being targeted and the more we report, the more visibility they have and the more they can work with law enforcement to have some of these threat actor groups shut down. And then some basic hygiene things. Looking at your credentials, hopefully you're using something like a password manager and if those credentials are compromised, rotate those usernames and passwords as quickly as possible. Password managers really help you do that very, very quickly and easily. And then keep an eye on your online accounts to see if you see any sort of anomalous or malicious behavior, whether it be transactions or posts in social media. And then just make sure your your devices are running up-to-date software, and they're auto-updating as releases or security releases come out from those different uh, groups, whether it be Apple or Samsung. Um, you're making sure your devices are being patched as quickly as you can. And then if you want to learn more about it, we have a great portal at rbc.com. It's rbc.com slash cyber. And there's some great information in there to educate people, not just on the kinds of things that you can do to protect yourself, but also how threat actors are targeting individuals or institutions and becoming more familiar with the kinds of threats that we see on a day-to-day basis.
0: Adam, are these, and by the way, we're speaking with Adam Evans, who happens to be the Chief Information Security Officer at RBC. Adam, are these things that we should be going out and finding an outside service or buying special software to help protect us? or are these things that the average Canadian should be able to do with their own computer just following those protocols?
3: Yeah, it, it depends on the devices, Andy, um, it, you know, on Apple devices, normally you'll have to find a, a piece of software that you can run, but it's, it's relatively inexpensive um, on, you know, on, on Windows systems or Microsoft systems, you can certainly use the security tools that are available to you. Password managers, there are free ones out there, uh, but, you know, you can, you can pay for one, they're about $20. There are pieces of software that you can purchase to make things easier for yourself. It doesn't have to be expensive. And one of the best things that that Canadians can certainly do is use uh, what we refer to as two-factor authentication. There are applications, Microsoft Authenticator, Google Authenticator, that you can put onto your devices that will ask you for one-time codes to access your most sensitive accounts. That creates another layer of security that will help you protect your most sensitive information as well as access to your most sensitive accounts.
0: Do you know, you know, this is a global issue. It's obviously when you talk about the online world, it has no borders across the globe. But are we in better shape or about the same as, as other countries? Or do other countries have it right when it comes to cybersecurity of their citizens?
3: I would say, you know, across the globe, the, the, the mature countries, the United States, Canada, uh, the UK, countries in Europe, we're getting it right. Uh, I think the, the big thing that we still need to work on is the education of our citizens and making them aware of you know the things that they can do, that the active steps that they can take to prepare themselves, and also them creating a plan that, you know, when this does happen, because it's when it's going to happen, it's not if, that you understand what to do to recover from it as quickly as possible and limit the blast radius of an of an event that happens to you. So there, there is a lot of work going on. Certainly, you know, within organizations like RBC as well as with the Canadian government and the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity, to raise awareness. But we have to do a better job.
1: Is there a site? Does RBC have a site? Is what would you recommend for people if they're looking for a little more information in terms of, you know, if your data is compromised or some of the tips and tricks to to make sure that it doesn't happen as best we can? Any sites that you would recommend for us, Adam?
3: Yeah, great question. So. RBC.com slash cyber has a wonderful uh, set of educational materials for people, and that's not just for RBC clients. That's for anybody that wants to get to that portal. And the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity has wonderful resources that people can consume, whether it's small, medium-sized businesses or individuals, to educate themselves with regards to cybersecurity.
0: Great information, and thanks for your time, Adam. We appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me on this
0: morning, guys. Thank you. That is Adam Evans, Chief Information Security Officer at RBC. You can find out more about what they do online at rbc.com/slash-cyber. That's the Canadian Centre for Cybersecurity.
1: Tomorrow is the International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste and if you've been to the grocery store lately obviously you know food is way too expensive to waste even a little bit of. Joining us to talk about how to reduce food waste at home is Sarah Soderoff, Senior PR Manager with Too Good To Go. Hi Sarah, thanks for being with us. Hi, thank you for having me. Can you just begin by telling us a little bit about Too Good To Go, what your organization is and does? Absolutely. So we connect businesses who have surplus
4: food, anything from grocery stores to convenience stores to restaurants, directly to consumers to sell that food. It's via the app. So the consumer would download the app and then they open up their map in their local area and they see what's for sale that day. There's a huge discount, which is amazing for consumers because as you were saying, food prices are going through the roof. So it helps consumers to get lower cost food and at the same time helps businesses to recoup what would otherwise be lost revenue on that food they'd have to throw away if it didn't get sold that day. Food waste also contributes hugely to greenhouse gas emissions and to a rising climate. So we're all then doing our part to help lower that impact.
0: Very cool. Yeah, we're just on the site right now. Sue's scrolling through. Boy, what a great opportunity. And is is it nationwide or or more so just in Canada? Yeah.
4: No. So we launched officially in Canada two years ago and we have been um, in Alberta, across Alberta for about a year now. In that time, we've saved 150,000 meals so far, which is huge and awesome. We have about 600 partners across the province and we are continuously expanding. So any market where we are national, but any market where we're maybe not totally infilled yet, you can just go to the site and start selling your food today. It's a really great way for businesses to make a little extra money as well. And then also, for us to all just be thinking more differently about the surplus that we have at every level from when we dine out, to when we eat at home, and when we grocery shop.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there are so many who need help, and to waste anything, it, it just really truly is so wasteful when you really think about it. So, uh, a food awareness of food loss and waste. How, do we know, do we have stats on how much food is actually wasted yeah. across the country?
4: Yeah, so this is, I think, the third year that we are commemorating the International Day of Awareness of Food Loss and Waste, which is a UN sanction day and the reason that the UN has brought attention to this issue is because 40% of all food globally goes to waste but in Canada that number is 58%. Wow. So if you think of I think Canadians love to think of ourselves as we are very sustainable, you know, we have great access to food, we get great food across the country, we're also a really great producer of food, yet we are wasting So much of it. And that's anything from, you know, that head of lettuce you don't get to before it wilts, or cheese that you don't get to before it molds. But it's also things like when we go to the restaurant and we have a little bit of food and we don't take that home with us. Or when we go grocery shopping, if we look for that perfect apple instead of buying the one that maybe we need to eat today. And until I started digging into this issue, I wasn't really thinking consciously about that either. Our goal is really just to raise awareness around this so that people start to just maybe think a little bit differently about the food that they're purchasing, what they're doing with that food, and then also think about what happens to it when it goes to waste. All that goes to landfill, and it's not something we talk about
0: that much yeah and there's the thing we don't talk about it much i find that it it starts to a certain extent with the kids talking about not wasting and and using the proper bins when it comes to composting for example but before we get to that point what can an individual do i think sometimes we think these is just a restaurant thing or you know huge families but if there's just a family of two or three what sorts of things can people do in the home
4: yeah, that's a really great question because I also think we think, oh, there needs we need to wait for a huge systemic change to happen and then it can trickle down to the individual. But that's not true. We can do something every single day. As an individual, you can save bags on the app, which is my favorite way to get rid of food waste, but singularly we can also be thinking about meal prepping when we go grocery shopping, so making a list of the items we actually need, not overbuying when we need, you know, maybe we only need one apple. Don't buy 15 of them. Um, the food that we contribute to waste accounts for about $2,000 per family per year. Ooh. And I think more and more we're trying to be conscious of not just waste, but also those dollars that are going to waste. Mm-hmm. If we can think about taking food home from restaurants when we have some leftover or remixing leftover meals. If you have the same kind of chicken dish every week, maybe you add a different side to it or a different vegetable or something else to make, to extend the life of that. We also do a ton of tips and tricks on our Instagram, which is at Can, where I learned so much about, you know, how do I extend the life of my herbs? What do I do with even lemons or limes if I'm not going to get to them? And there's so many creative things that we can be doing. We had a hummus recipe up there this week that I'm pinning because it's a really great way to use some of my old roasted red peppers and then make a new hummus. And so there's a ton of stuff, just more creativity, but at the same time, From that retail level, if you are a business and you do have surplus, you know the pain of throwing that food away. So if you do want to sell your food with us, it's super easy and consumers can just go on there every day and see the new variety of foods and time options and things that they can pick up on their way home from work or on their way to the gym.
1: Tana texted in to say, I love Too Good To Go. That is the website, toogoodtogo.com. Thanks for joining us, Sarah. Appreciate your time. Great idea. Thank you so much. Thanks, Sarah Soderoff, Senior PR Manager with Too Good To Go. And it is an app you can get on your phone. Go to the website, but you can get the app on your phone as well. Um, and it's it's brilliant. There are so many creative and clever people who've come up with wonderful ideas to stop food, for example, from going to the landfills, to help people who don't have food, who maybe just want better deals at the grocery store, yeah. for example, all of the above, and this is certainly one of
0: those. It just goes to show, you know, especially at this time, the need that we have the waste, that's one of the things we've talked to economists. We've talked to money experts and say, you know, the more you can use and squeeze every last resource from those mm-hmm. dollars, and in the case of groceries, yeah, reusing them, but at the same time, It's such a pity. And I know that a lot of the restaurants in the city of Calgary, by the way, do what they can to help the less fortunate, whether it's the mustard seed or, you know, if it's something they can donate to the food bank, the different organizations. But in the end, get these apps and even those grocery store apps that have those flash uh, freezers or whatever they call the flash uh, app. Yeah. You know, there's so many great opportunities. You just have to be diligent and uh, be in the know, really.